welcome to The Week Ahead in Russia, RFURL's weekly podcast about significant developments and upcoming events in Moscow and beyond. I'm Steve Gutterman, and my guest today is Alyssa DeCarbonell, Deputy Program Director for Europe and Central Asia at the International Crisis Group, and a former colleague of mine. Uh, we worked together at Reuters in Moscow about a decade ago. Um, as the initial uh, aggression, uh, Russian aggression against Ukraine uh, was was beginning to unfold, um, 2013, 2014. A lot has happened since since then. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you very much for joining me, Alyssa. Thanks, thanks, Steve. You know, when I left Moscow after spending my last year basically in Crimea and Donbass to cover the start of the war, one of our former Reuters bosses told me, you can't leave now. Russia's finally becoming a big story. Um, so I had felt like the seven years before that of reporting had been pretty busy, but that does seem like another era now. Yes, absolutely. Um, I initially, well, not initially, but I, I arrived uh, in Moscow with the AP before working for Reuters 2002. Things seemed quiet for about one year, um, and then uh, a lot of news started happening, but um, not a lot, I guess, compared to what started in 2014. But, so you're certainly right. Um, it's uh, great to have you on the show. Great to talk to you again. And I'd like to focus mainly on what's known in shorthand as the grain deal. Um, the UN-brokered and, and Turkish-brokered corridor agreement uh, that allowed for the safe shipment of Ukrainian grain across the Black Sea to the Bosphorus and then to destinations around the world. Allowed past tense because Russia quit the deal and it expired a week ago as a result of Russia's withdrawal. Alyssa, following the Kremlin's announcement, uh, you wrote uh, on this website uh, that Russia's move was, quote, a depressing signal of its fanatic adherence to waging war in Ukraine in spite of the costs to its economy and image, unquote. Uh, certainly in terms of image, uh, it seems like a strange move uh, because the deal was helping to alleviate a global food crisis and essentially had no opponents unless I'm mistaken. Turkey helped uh, broker the agreement. China was in favor of it. And its existence uh, essentially ena uh, enabled Russia to argue that despite its war on Ukraine, it was helping feed the world. So, Lisa, you, you also wrote in the same thread that, that Russia, quote, sees for now that it gets more from hurting Ukraine than staying in, meaning staying in the grain deal. I wonder if you could elaborate a bit on, on why the Russia... Uh, would pull out of the grain deal, given the risks uh, for its economy and its image. And the second part of, of this question is, is whether this withdrawal, whether this seems permanent, is the grain deal dead, or is there a chance it could be revived in the near future? One thing Russia tends to do under Putin uh, is create problems with other countries and with the world in order to then be a seen uh, or try to be seen as resolving them. So could the deal be revived maybe in connection with uh, the Russia-Africa summit, as it's being called, uh, later this week, uh, or, or Putin's possible visit to Turkey uh, in August? 
Thank you, Steve. Um, yeah, it seems like I couldn't refrain from some strong um, wording in reaction to the latest escalation. Um, so I think there are two parts to answering your question. Um, there's Russia's current calculation um, that it gets more from quitting the grain deal itself, for now at least. Um, and then there's the wider lens of what we might glean from that decision, among others, about the course of the war. Um, so on the grain deal, um, the Kremlin is accomplishing a couple of things by blocking Ukrainian exports right now. Um, first, of course, it's hurting Ukraine's economy. Um, the deal had provided a lifeline for the economy that's been you know, destroyed by the war. From the get-go, um, Russia's military strategy had included attacks on the agricultural sector, on infrastructure, ports, farms, um, which is now uh, nowhere near pre-war levels of production. Um, in the winter, we also saw Russia strike energy infrastructure. All of this is with the goal of squeezing Ukraine's economy, um, potentially destroying its viability as a state, as Russia would have it. Um, in a way, we could look at the grain deal itself, um, which was dubbed this uh, beacon of hope by the UN Secretary General um, as an exception rather than the norm in this conflict, as we are seeing it um, in year two of the conflict. Um, second, Russia also sees and understands very well that in dropping the deal, it can add to some recent friction between Ukraine and its eastern neighbors, um, Poland and four other EU countries that lie along alternative routes for grain exports um, from Ukraine, albeit at much, much lower volumes than through the Black Sea. Um, have asked the EU for restrictions on these. Um, they say that it's creating a glut and depressing domestic prices in their own markets, um, so difficult for farmers there. Um, you know, and third, really, um, Russia might even reap some economic benefits. It's one of the largest exporters of grain, and it's due for a bumper crop this year season, so it may be looking to grab some market share from Ukraine. Um, and doing so would also allow it to strengthen its trade relationships with other countries because, you know, grain and food exports are, are, are a very important um, component of trade relationships between countries. Although this is going to, I guess it's going to, it should be said, this is going to be hard to track because Russia stopped publishing data on its exports and its agricultural trade is now mostly conducted by sort of shady middlemen. Um, but in any case, um, Russia had been complaining and, in fact, obstructing the implementation of this deal for quite some time. And in pulling out now amid the harvest, um, it may just double the hurt. Um, we've seen for years uh, that Putin is quite aware of using energy and other exports as a tool um, and has leverage in relationships um, with other countries. Um, so it's fully aware of what it's doing and, and adept at manipulating the market dynamics. Um, and finally, Russia is again pushing its own demands. So that's on facilitating its own agricultural exports. Um, as you mentioned, these demands it has framed as removing Western obstacles to improving food security for the global South. And that's a narrative that has rallied some sympathy in some quarters. Um, so for the Kremlin right now, the main downside is to manage the blow to Russia's image. So as you pointed out, even allies, China and Turkey, um, who have been key beneficiaries of this deal, have urged uh, for its resumption. Um, but 
the Kremlin may believe its propaganda is working. Putin has said the deal is not benefiting the most food insecure countries. I mean, that's not true. That's not the case. The deal was never intended to ship wheat directly, um, but allow more volumes on global markets. So lowering prices overall. Um, and incidentally, the UN World Food Program bought 80% of its um, grain last year from Ukraine. <clears throat> um, so, you know, Putin has even said um, that Russia was ready to replace Ukrainian grain on the world market, including free of charge, um, as it is expecting a record harvest this year. Um, the FT had in a report saying Russia will push this proposal um, at the summit that you mentioned this week um, with other African leaders. So either it thinks it can manage this narrative or the other you know, way of looking at it is it simply doesn't care about this particular downside right now. Um, that's where we get to the bigger picture on the Kremlin's war plans and to your question, you know, of is this a negotiating strategy? Um, if so, Russia is taking quite a maximalist stance with the attacks on Odessa um, and, and infrastructure since. Um, I think it's a pretty strong sign that it's looking to, not looking to rejoin the grain deal anytime soon, um, at least not without real wins on its supposed demands. Um, we can talk about what those are. I mean, briefly, it was to reconnect uh, the SWIFT, um, its agricultural bank to the SWIFT financial system. Um, and it was expecting ammonia exports to flow through a pipeline that is reportedly damaged now um, through to the Black Sea, through Odessa. Um, but I'm not quite sure that its actions since um, quitting the deal is going to put... Um, counterparties in a conciliatory or negotiating mood to achieve those those demands. Um, but there's also a second audience for all of that. And that's the domestic audience in Russia. Um, in the wake of the turmoil in Russia with the Wagner mutiny, blocking Ukraine's grains exports and attacking um, its export infrastructure, um, as I said in my thread, is, is signaling its determination to keep fighting and to keep fighting dirty. Uh, thanks very much, Alyssa. I, um, I, I learned a lot uh, in that, in that, uh, from your comments. Um, interesting about the, the UN uh, food program um, and and the, and the way the grain is 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 bought. Um, and I, you know, it's a great point that uh, the demand, or maybe so-called demands. Um, you know, we've seen in the past uh, in this war and before it, before the uh, full-scale invasion in February 2022, you know, Russia using demands uh, that were either, you know, really they could not have expected uh, to have been fulfilled. Um, uh, I'm talking about Russia's demands um, of, of the United States and, and NATO uh, in the months ahead of the invasion, um, essentially kind of revising uh, the results of the of the Soviet collapse and, and mm -hmm. the collapse of communism uh, in, in Eastern Europe. Um, so, you know, these demands were presumably were um, issued kind of as pretexts, um, among other things. So, so uh, yeah, again, I think it's, it's, it's hard to look at the demands as, as kind of straightforward. Um, uh, and um, so I, I'd like to 
now uh, get into what what's been happening since uh, Russia withdrew from the grain deal, and we touched on this a bit. Um, but um, you know, Ru- Russian forces uh, have been attacking the Black Sea port city of Odessa relentlessly, and this is a, a, a city that you know um, in the past has been. Uh, I mean, it's a it's a mostly Russian speaking city, or was. Um, it's where there have been in the past sympathies toward Russia, I think those are pretty much uh, gone now. Um, but anyway, uh, Russia has been attacking Odessa relentlessly, um, attacking grain and port facilities, but also um, other other targets. Uh, strikes early on Sunday uh, severely damaged the city's main cathedral um, and other cultural sites in the center of the city. Uh, that cathedral was affiliated with what at least before the um, before the invasion was the the, the Moscow backed or Moscow controlled um, branch of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, um, and uh, strikes of all Russian strikes have also uh, hit hit sites in the center of the city, other sites in the center of the city, um, lots of lots of cultural sites. Um, the historic center of Odessa is a UNESCO World Heritage property. And the UN Cultural Organization said, uh, I think as early as Friday, that several museums within that protected property um, have been damaged by Russian strikes. And of course, as in Russia's attacks across Ukraine, people are being killed and maimed and their homes destroyed. Um, The attacks on Odessa have attracted a lot of attention and have added to anger at Russia over the unprovoked invasion of Ukraine. And now, uh, in the past couple of days, there have been uh, attacks uh, now on um, grain facilities in Ukraine on, on the Danube, uh, including in a town that is across the Danube from Romania, a NATO member, about 200 meters away. Uh, so, so there's been a focus on that. Russia is attacking that, that alternative route, uh, the Danube as an alternative route uh, to, to the Black Sea and the Bosporus. Uh, Alyssa, this this may not be a fair question because Putin and Russia have shown time and again that they have seemed to have no qualms about killing civilians and destroying cities and towns, including their cultural treasures. Um, But I'm wondering what you think about the attacks on Odessa and now um, on the Danube uh, port. Is is it really all related to the grain deal? And what, what, if anything, did, did these attacks say about where the war might be headed. Uh, you wrote that war, that war, or the war is increasingly becoming uh, the raison d'etre of Putin's rule. Uh, is this part of that, or is it all about the, the grain deal? Yeah, great question, Steve. Um, so I, I don't think it's all about the grain deal. Obviously, the grain deal um, itself can tell us something about um, where the Kremlin is going with the conflict um, to a certain extent because it's a key decision maker and the, and the attacks, of course, um, are a shift in, in strategy since um, the last year where Russia was more or less adhering to this, <coughs> to this deal. Um, among Russia watchers, there are those who look more or less intensely at Russian domestic drivers for foreign policy decisions. Um, there are also those who claim more or less to know Putin's mind. Um, I tend to be in the camp looking 
more at how domestic developments may be shaping the Kremlin's strategy, uh, though, to be honest, I'm a little fuzzier on reading Putin's mind. Um, so what I was talking about in my Twitter thread and, 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 and what you're alluding to is, I mean, I think um, we can see that the war is becoming increasingly existential for Putin. Um, he had to shift his aims, as we saw with the announcement of the annexation of territories in East Ukraine that Russia doesn't fully control. Um, but defeat um, or any end of the fighting that would be perceived as a defeat isn't really an option for him. Um, so the narrative that the Kremlin is locked into of a geopolitical or even a cultural clash with the West um, and its, its disinformation and its narratives about the Ukrainian state and um, its leaders um, is so core to, its, to you know, Putin's rule now that I think it's unlikely to change. Um, now, in the wake of the Wagner mutiny, Putin is consolidating his grip on power. Even further, um, he's cracking down, including on nationalists who are pro-war, but had criticized the way it was waged. Um, he's using uh, the war to shift the power balance in the economy, um, to reorient Russia's trade relationships, but also at home, you know, he's nationalizing um, some uh, Western assets we've seen in, in recent days. Um, he's privatizing others, all of this to suit political patronage needs. Um, so I think, you know, the timing of this move um, and the attacks that have followed um, the decision to uh, withdraw um, from the grain deal um, sends a message at home about his commitment to the war and how to wage it. Yeah, that's a very interesting point. Um you know, focusing especially on, on the domestic message of that, I guess he's killing several birds with one stone, so to speak, you know, sending messages to uh, to the world as well. Um, and just you, you point, you, you mentioned his, Putin's attempt to, to crack down on, you know, on nationalists, on the pro-war, uh, the, 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 the camp or the people who who are in favor of the war, uh, but feel that he has not been fighting it um, correctly and not uh, aggressively enough. Um, imagine mm -hmm. that. Um, Alexei Navalny had an interesting comment about um, Igor Girkin, uh, you know, who was arrested, um, who, who had a big part in, in the start of, of the war in the Donbass in 2014, uh, and who was arrested uh, last week. Uh, Navalny said that Girkin um, was cursing the cannibals for their lack of appetite, which I thought was a good description of, okay. you know, of, of this group, um, but that he is essentially a political prisoner because he's uh, being, uh, because he was arrested and, and he's presumably charged not with something like uh, war crimes or um, his involvement uh, in, in shooting down the um, Malaysia Airlines flight mm -hmm. MH17, but uh, instead um, for essentially for criticizing, for criticizing Putin. Uh, so, you know, that, uh, you know, I think you, you brought a lot of things together with, 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 with talking about the, um, some of the domestic motivations, I guess, of this, uh, of what, of what Putin and Russia are doing um, in the wake of and, and pulling out of this grain deal. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, Navalny's comments are interesting um, also because, generally speaking, the way the opposition has reacted to Prigozhin's uh, sort of um, challenge to Putin and and the developments is is quite it's quite interesting and kind of uh, dual. It's, it's a, in many ways very strange, but um, but certainly um, Gherkin. I mean, it, it is. It is something to see this man who was instrumental to the start of the conflict, you know, and we were talking about, you know, I was um, in Slovyansk for a bit um, when he was sort of ruling there um, a decade ago, um, not quite a decade ago, but um, yeah, and now now he's been jailed. Well, Prigozhin hasn't, incidentally, so that's another interesting dynamic, but you know, these people had been um, important, I think, to Putin because they had been voices that were in favor of the war. And that was something he needed until this point in time when he's starting to see the danger of those. Um, and it's more about um, keeping his hold on power at home. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, you mentioned... Prigozhin, that the, the mutiny uh, apparently, you know, having been responsible for for the ki for killing thirteen, I guess thirteen thirteen pilot, Russian pilots, you know, and Prigozhin is now presumably headed in Belarus. Uh, he's, and that looks like part of part of Russia's or Putin's attempt to kind of increase control over Belarus. Uh, but we can get into that another time. Um, I would like to take a few questions if there are any uh, mention some of the ways to ask. So let's just uh, give it a minute. Okay, I'm not seeing any for now. Um, I, I would ask I would. Um... I mean, I see a comment from somebody about uh, we didn't mention the Ukrainian attack on the Kerch Bridge, um, which might be interesting to draw into the conversation. Obviously, a lot of people um, thought the timing of Russia pulling out of the Great Deal um, was maybe linked to that. And obviously, Russia said its attacks on Odessa were in retaliation. You were talking about. Um, how to parse the fact that Russia is kind of indiscriminately um, attacking and bombing um, Ukrainian cities, you know, um, the fact that the war has come closer to home with the drone strikes, with incursions over the border, um, with this attack on the Kerch Bridge that actually affected people who were on vacation in Crimea, um, it's making it more, and, and obviously the Wagner mutiny, which opened this other front at home, you know, where the, the facts uh, of how the war was being waged and the sort of very raw, um, rude, um, full of swear words, uh, descriptions of what was happening on the front line from Prigozhin, um, you know, brought a lot of that back to um, Russians. Um, so, you know, Putin's also having to deal with that now, um, the kind of these cracks in the in the official narrative about um, the special operation in Ukraine. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, the, the Wagner mutiny, um, you know, whatever, however short-lived and, you know, whatever questions there might be about it, 
you know, again, again, it's it's almost fading into the past. But you know, mm -hmm. the, the takes, um, you know, this was widely seen as sort of the beginning of the end for Putin. Or, I mean, I have problems with that particular formulation. But you know, a huge challenge. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, you know, he, he's obviously. Um, uh, dealing with, uh, and, and as you mentioned, you know, dealing with with problems that were problems in his in his from his position that were unexpected. You know, you mentioned kind of the the biggest one, I guess, which is that that he's had to uh, adjust the goals. Uh, you know, the war after the initial uh, failure and what what everybody believes was um, his his expectation, Putin's expectation that uh, that. Ukraine would be subjugated within within days or maybe maybe a couple weeks. Uh, so you know it's it's interesting. It's uh, I guess it's important to kind of see this as you know. And I think you're kind of also mentioned uh, he doesn't have Putin doesn't have much recourse. Uh, you know any kind of outcome with with an end to the fighting. Could, could be seen, you know, as 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 a loss, as a defeat for him. And I think mm -hmm. there are two sides to that coin because some people say, well, Putin could easily or fairly easily explain away or, or describe any any kind of uh, outcome or uh, you know a, as as a victory. Uh, mm -hmm. Even some say if um, if Russia had to withdraw uh, its troops, but um, you know I think so. But I think it's uh, certainly. Uh, dealing with things that that he did not expect. Okay, yeah. I'll see if there are any other questions. I mean, I think the thing um, just to to comment on 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 that um, is that you know Russian disinformation only goes so far, and, and the the war is useful to Putin at home, at least at the moment. Um, in a way, you, you can talk about, you know, what kind of face-saving, you know, way out um, for Russia. But there's two problems to that. One is, you know, how, how, how does the West um, and Ukraine ensure that there won't be a return? And if you're looking at, you know, to fighting or, or, or how can you guarantee any kind of end um, to this? to this conflict, but also for, for Putin at home, since that's what we're discussing, um, what replaces it? I mean, the, what was so shocking about the Wagner mutiny, um, I, and I agree with you, I think, you know, some of um, the reactions were a little overblown, but it did, for the first time, kind of focus minds in Moscow on, on, on what comes next um, after Putin. Is there an after Putin? <laughs> um, so. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned in, in uh, the the war being his more and more being his raison d'etre, you know, and so uh, it's over, you know, why is why is he needed, I guess, is a, is a question. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm not seeing any more questions. Uh, I'd like to I, I have one uh, just about um, this uh, Russia Africa summit. Um, I believe it's two, Thursday and Friday. Mm -hmm. um, from what you said, um, you know, about the chances of a return to the deal, it doesn't sound like uh, you think that's what's 
you know, going to happen uh, at this meeting. It, it, it may be more of a kind of Russia pushing the narrative of, you know, we're the ones helping the global South, I guess. Um, and um, we can take care of it. Um, and, and also, I guess, pushing its, its demands and trying to, trying to portray itself as being on, on the sort of the right side of this somehow. Is, is that fair to, to say? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, I mean, I think that's exactly what we're going to see. It's, it's definitely going to work on its narrative. I mean, um, you know, the, the exit from the Black Sea Agreement did anger some governments in Africa. I mean, I, I, I don't, you know, and also I think, you know, some Western countries will definitely use this in their um, attempts to, to get um, other countries to um, be more united behind Ukraine um, rather than trading and continuing diplomatic relations with Russia, um, such as going to the summit in St. Petersburg. Um, but, um, you know, I think, um, it's really interesting. Uh, this FT article I thought was really interesting about a you know a very specific agreement that Moscow was trying to push um, to kind of send uh, grain for free um, with the help of Qatar and Turkey um, to African states who might need it. Um, there's certainly going to be an attempt to say um, the grain deal wasn't doing what um, it was meant to do, which is not true, um, and. Um, and we can step in instead. And if that doesn't go forward or nobody takes Russia up on that, then it's able, you know, Putin will be able to say, um, oh, well, look, you know, the, the West is obstructing or people are obstructing or are not taking us up on our offer to you know, send free grain or um, to put more grain uh, on the market. Um, so, I mean, I think that will be part of it. And you also mentioned there's this, you know, um, potential trip to Turkey. Um, but you know, it's a it's complicated timing, I guess. Um, for there's no bones about it, right? It's complicated timing for Russia to have pulled out of this deal um, right before this summit. Um, so, so I I think there will be some difficult conversations. Obviously, there will also be questions about Wagner's role in Africa and what happens um, there by by some African leaders. I expect. Um, so it, it, I mean, it'll be interesting. Yeah, that's a great point about about Wagner's role in in Africa and how that may may be something that that uh, that the visitors will want to talk about. Um, uh, so yeah, that that will people will be watching that closely. Um, all right, well, thanks very much, Alyssa. Um, really great. Great insights, I think, on 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 these on these issues, a pretty broad range. Um, and but I will uh, wrap it up here. Um, uh, Alyssa, great to talk to you, uh, and thanks thanks very much for for your analysis. Thanks, Steve. It was great to speak to you. All right. Once again, I've been speaking to Alyssa De Carbonell, Deputy Program Director for Europe and Central Asia at the International Crisis Group. And my name is Steve Gutterman, editor for Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus in the Central Newsroom at RFERL. As I mentioned at the start, this conversation will also be published as a podcast, and you can subscribe to The Week Ahead in Russia and other RFERL podcasts on Apple, Spotify, Google, and other podcast platforms. Uh, I'll be back next week for another edition of The Week Ahead in Russia. 
And please keep an eye out for my newsletter, The Week in Russia, on Friday. Thanks for listening.